Welcome to Momhood. Happy Wednesday. Happy Hump Day. Happy Hump Day. Brandon Malloy, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so stoked for today's. You guys, we got a papa in the house today. My our second buddy, dad. Quite a dill, I dad. might add, although he's gay. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's just, he really is. He's so handsome. And his husband, it's like a competition of the beauty in that house. Oh my God, um, seriously. This, right, right. Um, so today we're interviewing one of my favorite people, Ryan Brockington. He's been a friend of mine now for years. Um, and he's such an amazing guy, such an amazing dad. He's the father of two kids that he and his husband adopted. And he shares not only the adoption story of his eldest, Rumi, his daughter, who's only like a week apart from Blake, Um, So he not only shares that adoption story, but what I love so much is he really shares the perspective of a father in a same-sex relationship with two adopted kids and some Mm -hmm. of the dynamics and the external factors you may not know. And I think that one thing that Brandy and I have talked a lot about this season is, you know, or, or, or something that I feel and have learned very much this season is I'm barely an expert on my own experience much less anyone else's. I need to be educated and I need to learn and know all of the intricacies. And so having conversations like this are so freaking badass because like, he's like, he was like, nothing's off limits. Ask me anything. So learning about being a young boy and knowing he wanted to be a father and this revelation he had about thinking that he had to be straight in order to be a father, not knowing that that was even possible. I mean, it's so beautiful, so much honesty, so much good takeaway. Um, and this I thank him a thousand times. Where I'm just so grateful that we have this platform where people want to share and they do share because unless you are besties with a gay man or a gay man that is married that has two adopted children, like when would you ever have this opportunity to really hear from someone and to know what it's like? I mean, this is why momhood is so cool because we're able to bring in these amazing, different, diverse stories and bring them to all of you. And I think there's so much to learn from that. It did feel like he was like, whatever you want to talk about, I'm game because all I want to do is I want to reach that one person that might not know that they can do this. And yeah. he is so incredible and inspiring um, and fun. Man, he's such a fun yeah. guy. I mean, what a, what really a treat is. to have him on the show. He really is. We have down below um, the link for their book, which you'll hear us talk about. Um, but just keep an eye on it. And um, I really, really recommend it. It's such an amazing book. It was created as a gift for his daughter, Rumi. And it turned into a book that actually got like published and made and and all that which is so amazing so just a good example of when you do things from the right place that you know incredible things can happen so um everything for him will be down below if you guys like this interview and you're finding yourself connected and enjoying it don't only reach out I mean reach out to Ryan um but also share this interview with a friend someone that you think might be able to gain some cool perspective from hearing it you could always screenshot your phone and just post it on your stories you could tag us and Ryan um, would be a beautiful thing. And um, enjoy, you guys. This is such a good one. Enjoy. Say momhood? Momhood. <gasps> Funny. Oh, my God, Ryan Brockington. My excitement for having your beautiful face on this pod is just too much huh. to handle. Oh, my Thanks gosh. For being That's here. so fancy. Like, I wish it's... I love now that when we record podcasts, we can see each other and talk about it. But the listeners are like, why are they talking about it? Because I can see them. <laughs> I know. I know. 
I realize now lately in the podcast, I do things as though everyone can see where I like mime yeah. things. And I'm like, no, I just stop talking. But no then one... I translate. Yeah. I'm like, everyone, yeah. Orly's doing this with her face and her yeah. hands. And it just, yeah. it makes it more fun. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Ryan, give us a little bit of the lay of the land. Like, where are you from? Where are you born? What's like, do you have siblings? Give us that yeah. like, little bit. So, sure. Let's hop on into it. Let's um, do it. Let's open that momhood. So, I'm from <laughs> Dallas. Um, born in Dallas. I am one of four children. So, older sister than three boys. I'm in the middle of the three boys. Oh, my gosh. And... I went to school in Texas. I then very quickly moved away after, after <laughs> I went to college and moved to Los Angeles and was in Los Angeles for a while, met my now husband. We moved to New York for about 11 years, and I've been back in Los Angeles for about five. So what did your Texas, parents do you for... Oh, sorry. Go, go, go. Oh, I was just saying, so what was your upbringing like in Texas? It's it has such a big personality and you even said like I couldn't wait yeah. to get away from there. What was that like? It was, you know, I think from a like a nostalgia perspective, it was beautiful. It was exactly what you would think of like a small town in Texas riding bikes, leaving them on the front porch and your parents that's how your parents knew where you were and like walking in down to the creek to like catch what we called crawdads at the time like yeah, there's probably a proper term for it um <laughs> like lightning bu light like lightning bugs the whole thing like it was yeah. it was a really great experience i think you know coming into my teens and r realizing myself as a human i i quickly realized oh okay this this area of the country is quite different than me. Yeah. Um, and that's where the friction began. But I, I would say my childhood was amazing. Like I have great parents, um, you know, so I, I will never forget the nostalgia and the beauty behind my childhood, but you know, mm. yeah. What did your parents do for a living? Yeah, so my dad worked at a bank. Um, they have, my parents actually met at a bank. Um, my dad was like like a banker who would give people mortgages, and my mom was like the office manager, <laughs> and they met there, um, which is Ooh, so funny. Office and romance. Nice. I know it's like very nine to five. Like oh I'm sure God. there was a like Xerox copy and incident at some pads. point. Yes, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, so my dad worked in in banking and mortgages for a very long time. My mom was a court reporter. Which is like such an interesting job, right? Like that's really fascinating. Yes, in probate court. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, d is that what both of them did? Like, as you were growing up, those were both of the careers that they had your whole childhood, basically. Yeah, and my mom, like, my mom was a straight up hustler. Like, she she did, she had a day job, was in probate court, um, and then you know, she would have to transcribe all of the the things that everyone said so she had like these typists that would work for her like through the night so she could then bring them back the next day and everyone would have what everyone said in the court the day before and like then it was weird because she also weirdly like in the summer opened like a tanning salon with her sister like as a side <laughs> hustle when tanning salons were a thing so like my mom was straight up like like, I think that's where I get my drive for sure. Totally. totally. Yeah. Can 
I want to ask something that you, you mentioned how, like, you know, right around teen years, I guess, you knew that, like, you were different from everybody kind of in Texas, that idea that, did you know that there were other places where maybe you wouldn't feel that way? Or was, like, your world about as big as Texas? Yeah, you know, so just context, like, gay man, married to a man, <laughs> like, you know, so... Yeah. You know, I came out quite late, um, you know, probably early, mid-20s. But, you know, I did know that there were other people like me simply from television and mm. and film, right? You, you know, that, I think that's why it's so important to see people like yourselves on TV, whether you're gay or black or, um, you know, queer, transgender. Like, it's... I remember sneaking into my sister's room... Um, and watching Will and Grace with the volume on like number one so I, no one would hear and my sister was gone and I would just watch that show and see Jack or, or Will and know that there were people like me not only in those characters but pe you know because I was very aware of how Hollywood worked because I was super interested in it and like there's writers producers and so I knew that there's clearly a world out there that would include me in a way that my town where I lived was not. How so, old were you at this you? time? Oh, look at you two. They're Same page. I know, right? <laughs> um, I'd say probably maybe 15. Okay. Yeah, and Ryan, you know? when you say different, did you know that that was gay? Or you just <laughs> thought like... I mean, I always I knew I was attracted to, to men. Um, but But how long did you know that? I think early on, like, you know, okay. I definitely had girlfriends in high school and college, which just blanket sorry to everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I always knew, um, you know, I have a podcast with my best friend, Brad. We've been best friends for over 25 years. We met in um, in junior high because we competed against each other at speech tournaments and we were like arch nemesis um, oh for different junior highs. Oh my God, that sounds highs. like a Netflix show, what? Oh my God, it so was. <laughs> and like, he was the best at his school and I was the best at my school and we were like in the finals for male monologue. Um, and <laughs> yeah, totally, right? But I saw him and so I knew there were other people like me and so I knew the feelings that I had inside of me weren't just like I was messed up so i'd say you know you i've always that known. that young that's incredible yeah. because so many people don't even realize that how did yeah. it feel in your home um you, you know you had the volume very low is that because you were worried that there would be judgment or did you oh, already sure. feel like yeah from, from yeah. your siblings from your parents yeah you know and it's things that i think looking back parents don't realize they do right like you know okay. in movies in the 90s and early 2000s m most gay characters were either represented as overly flamboyant for comedic uh, needs or as the bad guy right as like mm -hmm. you know like if there was a movie about a child molester it would always be a right. man and mm. like little boy like so there was there was this stigma that it, yeah. it exists, but it's not a good thing. And also, you know, I did grow up in a Christian environment. We did go to church every Sunday. So that was also something that was discussed. Um, 
you know, so it, it, it was hard. I think now, you know, with people like us raising children in, you know, we're blessed to live in a town that, that, you know, gay, straight, whatever you can thrive in Los Angeles because there's so many opportunities for you. Um, it's unfortunate. But Ryan, that what can what can parents like do? That. Because you are a parent now, and you're talking to so many listeners that are parents. Um, you know, if you were your own parent back when you were a little boy or a preteen, what would you have done different? And what can we do to create that communication or create that feeling that if so, if our child told us that that they would be welcomed with open arms? You know, it's it's hard because. Looking back, I remember I remember my mom like trying to have conversations with me and I wasn't ready. And I think, you know, I would definitely recommend to not force a, a conversation around sexuality with your children. I think it's I think instead it's about exposure and it's about mm. normalizing those things just as much as as, you know, straight couples, gay couples. I, you know, I think it's. Like Orly, or, Orly and her family and me and my family hang out, and our kids see, you know, her kids see that uh, yes. Rumi and Xander have two dads, and it's just we all play and we don't talk about it, and it's just part of their lives. And so I think exposing your children to, you know, the the vast types of families that exist, I think that's really the most important thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, it's such a perfect point. Cause it is, uh, yeah, I mean, it's everything. Ryan, well, that even just always... reminds me of, oh no, go ahead, Orly. Did you always know you wanted to be a dad? Oh yeah. You did. Yeah. yeah mm. For sure. Like, uh, and that actually was why I came out so late because. What do you mean? Well, there was, there was really nothing that told me that I could be gay and a dad in, in oh. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's- so for, for me, it was less about, for me, it was less about finding, like being accepted as gay. I, I actually had a harder time coming out because I wanted to be a father. I wanted to have a family. Um, and oh. that, that actually was not, <laughs> was not normalized or I, I didn't have solid examples of it in my life. So I think that's why I'm so transparent and open with my family um, on Instagram and yeah. with our with my podcast. It's because I I feel this sense of um, I I just I feel like I owe it to the world to do as much as I can to show people that you can get married, you can have children, and you can live a life. Um, of beauty, just like you might see on TV with straight couples and everything else, and be LGBTQ plus. Like that is yeah. my mission in life. So, when when how did you and Isaac... your husband meet? <laughs> you guys are like on point with the questions. And the funny thing is, I know you're not reading from them from a list because you're just looking at me and like I know that there's not uh, like, and I know I how busy both show. of you are. So there's, love... it's so good. totally uh so the question when did i meet isaac is that yeah it's yeah 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 so you know after after i went to college 
I moved to Los Angeles and, you know, we both were in a, a, like a group of friends of the same person. You know, those people who have like segmented friend groups and they never mix them. They're yes. like, oh, my writer's club or like. Well, there's different my... buckets. Yeah. So yeah. Like these are the people I do this with and this. With. Yeah. I do it all the time. Totally. Of, I... <laughs> Is yeah. that a bad thing? I mean, I don't know. I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, I I feel like we just do that as humans, right? Yeah. So it was our friend Andrew, and he decided he was going to just have all his friend groups out one night at a, at a club in in Hollywood, and so it was there. And I I went because I was a part of one group, um, and and Isaac was there at part of another group, and. Yeah, and then we we basically it was it was like on a Sunday night, which was I thought was super random, and like you know people were having fun and drinking, and I was like it's Sunday and I gotta work. I'm like drinking bottled water and just kind of hanging out, and I, I look over and I see Isaac, and he's also kind of drinking bottled water, like hanging out, like I'm here, it's fine, and so I do like one of those dumb air cheerses with like <laughs> my like my Ozark uh, water, and he's he does the same thing. And so, like, we, we chatted for a minute, and that was it. But, um, and then I I remember MySpace messaging our friend Andrew. It was that oh. long ago. Oh, dang. Yeah. Love it. And I was like, hey, can you give me Isaac's information? He's like, well, no, no, not really. Because I think, like, I think I'm going to try to see if we're dating. And <gasps> I'm like. How dare you? Come on. No. Absolutely not. So I just messaged Isaac because he was friends with him on MySpace as well. And I'm like, hi, I Nancy drew you through Andrew's page. Um, I think we should hang out. And then we hung out. And then, like, we met in together. How old were you? 20, I would say 25, maybe. Yeah. And did, did Isaac always want to be a father as well? Was that something you guys were on the same page right yeah. away? Yeah. We both come from very, like, involved, family-oriented lives. So mm -hmm. it was something, you know, I, I like, I knew it was a deal breaker for me. I wouldn't even, like, go to coffee with somebody if they're like, no, nah, but I'm, I'm going to be, like, just yeah. me. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and how did the process start with figuring out what the right route was? whether it was going to be adoption or surrogacy yeah. or what all the options are, how did you guys come to what you ultimately did, which was adopt? So this is kind of a, this is kind of a weird um, situation because just go with me on it because I'm not like, so I'm not a very religious person. I grew up in a Christian household we do actually like go to church once a week because Isaac is the son of a Methodist preacher. It's a whole other podcast, so we're gonna do that later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, um, so when we started talking about it, you know, I think Isaac was more in the surrogacy world, but not. It wasn't because of a, any other reason than like, oh, I think this is probably going to be the easier route. Right. You hear so many stories about, you know, adoption and people getting close with birth parents and then yeah. it falls through or it feels more difficult because it's not people don't talk about the way to adopt um, through, you know, all of the government 
like processes that have been put in place more than people talk about like surrogacy and like oh well it's an egg and you go to a doctor and it's blah blah like you know people normalize surrogacy like you know a hydrofacial now right yeah. <laughs> so you know it's it just feels a lot more mm-hmm. systematic and you you can just comprehend it mm-hmm. um but for me i've always known that i wanted to adopt because i i have this I've always had this feeling inside of me that um, the earth does what it does for a reason. And I believe I was born a gay man because of just that's the soul and that's the part of me that the earth needs to be one with itself. And I believe that gay people, I believe that straight people all have something inside of them that exist because we all need each other and going into adoption there's so many children that don't have loving parents or don't have a future because they are are born into a world by accident not by choice um by uh weird circumstance and I truly believe that adoption is is Earth's way of of evening things out and and gay parents, people that want to be parents, it's our mm-hmm. responsibility to start there. Um, and so that's just why I've always been such a big believer in adoption. I feel as though it, if I want to be a father, I we we should start with the children that don't have parents. And so that's sort of, that's why we chose it. And I have never heard anyone describe it like that. That is like. (laughs) I didn't mean to to make you cry. No, listen, it's normal. It happens all the time here. But I just, the way you described it, um, like what a healing message for like Rumi and Xander as well to know that like I don't know I think that's just such a beautiful way that it's like the universe's self-healing option for these kids and for these parents alike it's I mean I just never even have heard it described that way that's just such a what was your experience adopting your daughter so you know we didn't know a lot um we were fortunate enough to uh, be given uh, the name of a lawyer in in New York who has been doing uh, a- adoptions in the U.S. for I think over thirty years now. Um, you know, w- we knew international adoption was difficult at the time, especially being gay, and and so with Rumi, it was a lot of education, a lot of research, and you know, we so we met with this lawyer. She walked us through the whole process. Um, you know, every at this step we need this. At this step, you need this. And and um, during Rumi's adoption, which I guess was wow, it probably started seven years ago. Um, you know, and she's how were, old now? She's five. She's five. She turned five in September, and our son Xander turned two in August. And their so adoption a two-year were process very before you met her. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you start talking. You have to get you know background checks like fingerprint you have to get into the system you have to get uh like six months worth of home studies 
um, full health screenings. Like, like I, I haven't had to, I, I have never had to do that much work for a new job or like buying a house. I told Isaac one time, I'm like, it's weird. We could buy a part of the earth and build on it. And it's a lot easier than adopting a human that needs yeah. a home. Um, was the, can I, can I ask real quick, was the process dehumanizing in a way or was it like i get it yep you know i mean orly you know me and you know how much <laughs> you know how much drive and like i'm like no you're not gonna tell me no like just yeah. give me that let's, let's yeah. continue to move this on um so I, I think for me it was it wasn't i think there were times for isaac where there was just the only the only feeling he had was defeat and i mm. think it can be a process that is for straight and gay couples alike. I think it's yeah. just a very hard thing. Um, and, you know, you, you create a book that, like, once you get your home studies approved and everything, all your things done, then you create a book with, like, photos of you and how you met and how you celebrate holidays and where you live. And it sort of has to be vague. So it's like Los Angeles, but not exactly where. Or you work in the entertainment industry, but not exactly what. And just so, like, the birth parents can... Like, so they, birth parents will like ask for books. And also at the time, by the way, we had to put ads in local penny saver papers because that was still a big way for either these very young girls that don't have money to even access the internet for websites or other things or email that, that was the only way they could find help. Oh my gosh. And a lot of the times it was because they were going in for a checkup, their first checkup in their third trimester, where they're like, guess I got to figure this out. And the nurses or doctors are like, do you have a plan? And then some hospitals have different rules and regulations. And they'll, you know, they'll say, well, you know, there's some there's some newspapers that have people that are looking for adoption or here's some names of some people if, if, if that's what you are looking to do but it was a very like archaic process it has gotten better it got it, it's probably gotten 400 percent better from Rumi to Xander's Zam- adoption we didn't have to do the paper newspaper penny saver thing for Xander's um we also knew what we were getting into we still had to do the book um, the book I want to talk about the book I was an advocate for two of my girlfriends who are adopted parents and the book plays such a mind game on you yeah. Because the amount of text messages and calls I've gotten from my girlfriend specifically saying it's because the picture, it's because we look like this. It's bec- like, should we swap out the picture? Can you re- can you help me rewrite this paragraph? I mean, just the panic of thinking you get so close and then things that you can't change about yourself. Or do we, is it because all the, you know, she has existing children. So is it because our children are involved in these activities and maybe the parent thinks that we're going to like force their kid? I mean, the, it almost was like such a mind game to mm-hmm. feel like everyone is dissecting everything about you and you could be so close to meeting your baby and then it's a picture, it's words. Did you have any examples of any couples, gay or straight, that had been through the adoption process that you could lean on? Because it feels like only someone that's gone through this journey can really be there for you. Yeah, you know, we... So the the person who we got the our lawyer's name from, our friend Robin, who lived in our building in Williamsburg, Brooklyn at the time, mm. um, went through the process 
as a single mom. She mm-hmm. was, I think she had just turned 40 and she was like, not going to meet a man I like. I'm going to just, you know, I've, I still want a family. So she barreled through and she, so she had gone through the process and had created her book. I, you know, I don't even think we saw it, but, but she walked us through, um, the process, you know, in a very macro way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helped, but you know, like I'm like, I'm a, I'm a marketer in my day job. So like, I, I feel like I was like, okay, I'm going to like, how do I jazz this up and sell this to anyone? <laughs> like, okay, America, nice. like you want to buy, you want to yeah. buy two gay guys? Here's the deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, if your girlfriends need help, please give them my number. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. more than happy to help. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, and how, so how did you meet your daughter? How did you find her? What how did the you know, what was that two years like to finally getting your baby girl? So, you know, in a in a nutshell, we we had a couple of phone calls. So when we did the penny saver sort of ad piece, our lawyer recommended us to a phone screener who is actually somebody she worked with who not only can help screen these calls for because there are sometimes people out there trying to take advantage of other people Mm -hmm. but also making sure that the birth mother or birth parents if they call together were really ready to do this because i'm not yeah. equipped as a human to know that and yeah. so yeah. it was great to have that person sort of pre-call and say okay great you know I, um hard because you know the ads like gay couple looking to I, I i could probably pull up an old version of it but and then they call and it's like a lady and they're probably like uh can I speak to gay couple? Yeah. Uh, Where is yeah. said gay couple? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, so that the we talked to a couple of birth mothers. We flew to uh, the town Rumi was born in. And I'm and I'm kind of vague just because, you know, I think for Xander and Rumi, the, the details of their story is really theirs. But I'm yeah. more than happy to sort of walk walk you through it from a high level and so met her birth mother um who has two sons and you know for her it was you know she was just really confident that you know i know i can't do this i Mm. i know i can't and i know i'm ready for this she had done the research she has she had read so much um and it was her third trimester and we and she was like um it's a boy so we always we thought Rumi was going to be a boy until she was born mm. um she's like i'm carrying the same way i know exactly what's going on with my body you know it's a boy and so we kind of just trusted her in that and then um you, at different states you can sort of financially help birth parents in different ways it's different from state to state mm. um and that's the other reason why adoption is so hard in the U.S. is because it's a state level thing. It's not a federal level mm. like system, right? And actually, if you if you do a little of research, Hillary Clinton was actually part of her platform when she was running was was going to be to change that and to oh, wow. make the adoption process a lot easier in the U.S. Um, but the so you know 
we we tried to we, we were getting our birth mother out of some situations that weren't so great and trying to really help her make sure she go, went to the doctor and was getting everything and then you know so no there's really no paperwork that exists between you and birth parents until after the the baby is born because you can't really <laughs> the baby's not born so it's like you know there's not really so there's no real agreements yeah. and so we on a friday it was it was like a week before we actually her actual due date she called in the morning she was like yeah i think i might be having the baby today it feels like a like it feels like i'm probably having the baby and we're both in new york and we're like and Rumi was born in portland and so oh my god so it's just like okay all right so we both like get on the next plane fly there and and like on the way to the airport in New York, you know, we're like, okay, she's, she's like, yes, I'm at the hospital. They're checking me in, you know, I'm, you know, I'm dilating. And so we're like, okay, we're on our way. And we land in New York or we land in Portland and Isaac's phone rings and it's, it's her cell phone. And like, he puts one ear pod in my ear so I can hear <laughs> and he's has his end. And she's like, hi. And we're like, hi, we're here. We're here. We just landed. We'll be there. You know, we'll be there in 35 minutes. And she said, well, I have good news and bad news. And we're like, what? Who, like, what? Oh. And I'm like, she was like, well, the good news is baby, the baby's perfectly healthy. Everything's great. Um, she's like, it's a girl. Um, and we, and I, I completely start bawling, crying. Kind of like bawling because the two weeks before, which I hadn't told Isaac, I had dreams every single night that that we were going to have a girl and I didn't know if it was because I was like I didn't know if it was negative feelings for this baby boy or what was going on it was insane what a healing moment I'm sure that was on the call that like all those fears just washed away and you're like I'm psychic (laughs) totally yeah I'm like yeah but was there a part of you that instantly thought she wants to keep it she of course she wants to keep it she doesn't have a girl like yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I all feel of like that. panic immediately. There were all of that. And, and, you know, she says on the phone, she's like, you know, I'm excited for you guys to get here and meet her. And so everything still felt very, you know, yeah. great. And it was, it went, you know, there's in the hospital over those next couple of days, when you're there with the birth parents. And in our case, it was both just the birth mother for our children. Um, Xander's birth father was sort of in and out of the hospital at the time, but it's a very emotional process because mm-hmm. not only is she healing or her body's trying to heal from having a baby, which you both are very aware of, um, mm-hmm. but there's this, it, there's mental things happening. There's attachment, detachment things happening. Yeah. There is questioning of all these things all while, you know, a hospital is not there to like keep you in the hospital until you're ready to go mentally. <laughs> you know, they're like trying to, and also like the, your lawyer, the, your lawyers are there and there's paperwork involved and like paperwork is so paperworky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Such a down, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then, so after, after you adopt, there's what's called an interstate, contract i think that's i'm probably messing the term up but basically because it's not a federal issue um, every state has different laws so you have to sign paperwork 
and stay in the state the baby is born until the state says, okay, we recognize that you guys are the, the adoptive parents of this child. We are going to now send this paperwork to the state you live in. And the state you live in then has to take the paperwork and, and say, we recognize that you can bring this baby into this state because you are oh the adoptive parents. Gosh. And so it could be two weeks, could be four months, whatever. And when you think about that from the average parent's perspective, like, how do you just leave work? How do you just leave life? Like, that yeah. is, you know, it just makes, it makes a hard, a hard process, emotionally hard and literally hard process that much harder. Yeah. Like, come the and fuck And just on. the protections that don't exist for employees from yeah. their employers because it's not paternity leave because you're not a dad yet. And that is why... So yeah. much work needs to go into making this easier federally. Yeah. And, and I will say to that point, um, the where I worked at the time and where Isaac worked at the time, like we actually got, Isaac got three months off work. So I, amazing. I got three months off with Xander. And then a lot of employees now offer like adoption reimbursement up to like certain amount of money. And like, so there are some really amazing things happening on the employment side. I just kind of think that our government should maybe catch up a little bit. So yeah, um, yeah it's, it is a whirlwind, but I'll tell you that the process is very, it's very much like a, a domino rather than a waterfall. And if you think about just each domino needs to go down. Mm -hmm. Everything's not going to go down. Like, just do this and then the next thing and then the next thing. And <clears throat> knowing what the outcome is, I think looking at it that way was so, is so much easier because um, there's hope. Like, there's so m much out there that is positive about the adoption process. Yeah. Um, it just takes forever. So Yeah. 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 And and now you're the father to two. Yeah. Rumi and Xander. Is fatherhood what you thought it was going to be like? Yeah. I mean, yes, in terms of like, all I want to do is like build forts and do crafts, <laughs> like for sure. And like play dress up. Like that's all. Like, but there's this, there's this, there's a cleansing and a, like a really humanizing thing about it. And what you guys talk about. So, like sometimes on this show is just like you know like I never thought I'd be like in meetings for my normal job and feel so like all right everyone settle down like this is <laughs> it's not that important mm -hmm. I'm about to go to like change a poop diaper right after this so like let's <laughs> come to a conclusion and oh, it's fine <laughs> like it it grounds you in so many different ways because like you know your number one responsibility and so everything else isn't trivialized or isn't less important it's just kind of like okay huh. like we're gonna do it yeah yeah so yeah i think it's it's made me a little more chill um yeah which i did not what's, expect what's been the most challenging part of parenthood for you i think you know i I always envisioned being a parent, like I said, but I think in that dream, I I thought I would be more of the like 
maternal stay at home like do all the things with the kids and it's actually kind of the reverse with with Isaac and I and we have are super blessed to have help with a nanny during the week but you know I work a lot more and that is that is really hard for me especially when they're so young and they actually want to hang out with you um so that's probably the hardest part I know you and I have talked about this and I want to get into it as we (laughs) talked about you have a really interesting take on the term mom. Even you joked last night as we're texting, you're like, I'm coming for you for the name of that podcast. <laughs> I want your perspective on this because as we talked about it sitting around your table next to the pool, I was like, look, it was an interesting conversation and I, and I want to make sure we get into it because I really, really want you to share um, kind of your thought on this because I wouldn't have thought of it myself. You know, it's, it's hard because look, like mom is a word and it's a term and it's like what you are both known as by by your children i think you know i think the the challenge for me is around like there are so many narratives and fictional stories and things that are mom and dad and mom like everything is mom and dad mom and dad mom and dad I will give major props to Disney for their films over the last 30 years because most of those moms have died in those films and the dad is the only one around for the princesses. So Yeah, I have an issue with prince- that actually. Why they always <laughs> kill the mom. So yeah. f- fuck Disney. It's because Walt Disney's mom died when he was actually at a young age and so he didn't want a lot of those movies to have moms in them. Is that true? That's, that's actually what I heard. It's weird, right? Wow. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. I so I don't know. Google it. If, yeah. if I'm wrong, don't don't tweet me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think for for me and I'm trying to like go back to this conversation because I want to make sure I hit on what you remember from it. Um, I, I, I think w- the terms mom and dad are used in places where I think the word parent can be used a lot more. And I'd. I think being aware of that as storytellers, like, you know, you, you both host podcasts, like you both do things outside of the podcast where you're learn like teaching others. And I think telling stories as a parent and removing the, the word mom or the word dad is just, it's one of those like awareness sort of helpful things that I think for children can help remove sort of the need for that in their life, you know. Is it um, because those words are so deeply tied to the roles that those people play and you have to fit into those roles? Yeah. Yeah. When Rumi was, when Rumi was like one and a half, she would walk around the house when she was, when she was looking for something and she would say, mom and dad, mom and dad and she thought like she thought that that was she was trying to find something because like in in movies i guess or a movie she watched at the time it like i think there was something in that movie where like over and over again and and then a little bit later like i mean we've had a couple of mom combos with her um we're very open about adoption in our house you know obviously like it's the reason why we wrote this book Um, that comes out in May, but I think, you know, I think it's just about everything needing to be mom and dad, 
you know, stories of mom and child or stories of dad and child, I think are amazing and beautiful. But, you know, I think, I think there's just like an overuse of mom. And then on top of that, like what is expected out of the word mom? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's to me what I took away, what I thought was interesting in the conversation was the idea that the word mom is almost a placeholder for the verb of that mm. role. And it's like, yeah. there's no, uh, there's no, uh, like, connected, I, I can't think of, of the word I'm trying to use right now, but there's no, like, um, almost like dad isn't the male alternative of mom. It's like a different role. Like, dad has his own things. Dad does yeah. dad things. Mom yeah. does mom things. And so it's mm-hmm. almost the 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 box that it fits in, which is frustrating as a mom a lot of the times because if you don't fit that box, you feel like a shitty mom because you're like, I don't take joy in crafting. I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to sit here and, and talk. You know, like sometimes I feel badly that I don't fit all of those boxes. So I think that there's a way in which that word carries so much weight that can be damaging to everybody, you know, it's yeah. like it can be so. So to me, that's what was interesting is the fact that it is like a verb, in a way, with no necessary counterpart. Um, and I just thought that that was such an interesting take because obviously, being a mom in a well straight relationship, it's nothing I ever even considered. All of these normal things, I clicked right into. I didn't mm-hmm. need and I to. Think also, you know, on an on another level, because I do a lot of work. Um, at youth centers and boys and girls clubs and we're so conscious of this when we're there as we talk about the caretaker and guardian because so many youth that i volunteer with are being cared for by their grandparents or by an auntie or an uncle so it's interesting how um when i am there and when i'm thinking about that i'm always reminded that those terms are barely brought up because those people sometimes don't exist in, the, in these children's lives. And it's more about your caretaker or, um, you know, your guardian or who you're going to go home to, or you learn those specific roles of those people. And sometimes they're not even related. Um, and I appreciate you bringing that up and challenging this idea because that, that only furthers the mission that you were trying to accomplish with your book, which I would love to know more about, um, <laughs> that we expose and educate our children on all the various families and what they look like. Yeah. Well, and yeah. that, I think you hit a good word, which is family. Um, and that's actually what we talk about in the book. We have, a, so we have the, a picture book. It's a kid's picture book called Daddy and Dada that, that's coming out in May. Order it on Amazon. Also, I pre-ordered mine. The kids were yes. so freaking excited when they realized. I was like, this is Rumi's dad's book. And they're like, That's... what? Like the fact that I had like opened Amazon on my phone, you know, like they know Amazon. Yeah. Amazon's very exciting. And so I was like, do you want to swipe the buy now? And they were like, what? Like the excitement <laughs> they had that it, that they knew a person <laughs> in real life that wrote a real book that's on Amazon. It was the cutest moment. Uh, I love that. I and I, I think it's, I think for, for us, so quick backstory, we decided to just write a story for Rumi for her fourth birthday that was just about her and about her family and about her story. And, and because I work in marketing and creative space, the creative space, I had an illustrator illustrate it for us. And then I bound it in a book and we gave it to her. And my friend asked me for a PDF of it. He happened to have a, a book that was published at Brown Books and Little Brown Books contacted us and they were like we want to make your book and it was this whole weird 
awesome, amazing thing. And so it, we we changed a lot of things in it. Took a lot of like Rumi's personal bits out, but the 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 through line of the book is that families are made in many different ways, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's all about families of three, families of four. Fa- some families have two moms. Some have one mom or one dad. Like my neighbor lives with her cat and her grandma, so that's a family of three, I think. Like, yeah. and it just goes into all of the ways families are made. And I think the word family is so important for kids to understand Um, and to know what that means and to know like the power of that word and the, Mm -hmm. like how to rely on that word when you need it. Um, We do this thing every night (laughs) and I can't believe I'm sharing this because it's been in the back of my head as like, this is the next book I want to write. So we started it with Xander where we were having a rough time getting him to go to sleep and he was very young he was like six seven months old and uh so we would isaac would read him stories then i would come in and rumi would come in i would hold rumi and he would hold xander and we would sing this song and it was family hug family hug family hug and we just sing that eight times and he would hum it and it would calm him down and then he would just lay down and he would go to bed and we still do it to this day like we still do it and everyone sings and it's like kind of nerdy and fun but it's like this really cool closure to the day for all of us I think but um you know and Xander uses the word family all the time like at dinner when out of nowhere he'll just look at everyone and go family and he'll do his arms (laughs) in a little circle he is yeah. the I can't. Oh my god, he's the most delicious. <laughs> the video So first of all, like total side note and and you guys posted something on your Instagram stories the other day where you made a like trampoline pillow fort. So you brought all the yes. blankets and all the pillows out onto the trampoline and you guys were laying there and you were playing a Harry Styles song, I think. And Xander is sitting there with his eyes closed like like feeling oh. the music and he's this yes. little perfect little body sitting on I mean, <laughs> he is if you guys do not follow Ryan, you need to follow his Instagram just <laughs> to experience Rumi and Xander's deliciousness. It's too um, much. So he's a life force. Man. You know, you guys, you and Isaac, obviously, you know, when I'm with you guys, it's like, you know, you seem to really have such an incredible connection. You're such great parents. You seem to be have this great balance. How do you and Isaac stay connected through work and through being parents and all of the juggling of all the things. Is there something that you guys do that keeps you feeling really connected? It's a good question. It's, it's hard. Um, we actually had this conversation this weekend because, um, we've, we've been relying on like a digital, like sort of Gmail shared calendar system, which I actually think, um, has been the crux of our connection issues lately. And Mm -hmm. so, I decided to like remove it completely. We're now like old school calendar on the wall with sticky notes and like writing things. And it's become like, it's not only sort of therapeutic, but it's it's there, it's visual. The kids can see it every day. It's something that we actually can talk about in the morning and mm. we all like are present. And it's not like, did you check, you know, this weekend I put on the calendar, we're gonna do this. And I actually think that sort of tactile family schedule system 
is really important. And I know we all want to digitize everything, but it's also a really great way to separate work and like family. So that's actually something that's really helped. And even just not looking at your phone, you're yeah. looking at your phone. I was just looking at your phone and the kids are just like, well, we can't see. We're not a part of this. Yep. Um, I know we're short on time, Ryan, but but um, we love to ask our interviewees um, like a little short fire round of questions. And one of the Ooh. questions that I would love to know from you is what do you hope your children remember you by? What What kind of parenting legacy do you want to leave for both of them? Wow. Um, I feel like if I could, if, if they would remember me as like a con, like just a confident parent, like somebody who is unapologetic for like being a little loud about who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that I, I, like I remember one day we were at church and Rumi's Sunday school teacher came over to us when they walked the kids back over and it was around Christmas and she said she she Rumi sat down and and this woman named Lori said um today we were talking about Mary and Joseph and and the baby Jesus and Rumi stood up and she said oh by the way everyone I have two dads just making sure everyone knows and then she sat back down and they continued the story and it was like it had nothing to do with anything Rumi just needed to like clear the air make sure everyone was aware (laughs) and like I want to continue to do that Jesus cool have you met my dads they're pretty good like it's so good yeah you know, so if I they gotta can say, continue to be that, then yeah. I'm yeah. making a, um, I'm working on making a neon sign, having a neon sign made, and I feel like you need this too. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's Conor McGregor of all people, and it said, "I'd like this. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody." And it is <laughs> my favorite. Like as a family, it's our favorite. Mike does it in the Irish accent, and it's that idea, like yes. unapologetically, like. This is who we are. This is our family. This is our identity. I'm not apologizing to a goddamn soul. Like, take it or leave it. Enjoy it. You know, and it's such, I feel like you need that on that black wall in that front room. Yes. You know? Well, you know, the gay, ver- the gay version of that. So the RuPaul quote of that. Oh, perfect. Is, is what other people think of me is none of my business. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know what? You're right. So. I'm right there with you. So I, I'm going to need a neon sign of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Okay, if you if you have it at the top of your mind, this is one of everyone's favorite things, is do you have a favorite product? Something that if you could recommend one thing that you love that you constantly buy when it runs out, um, that you could share? It could oh be God. in the kitchen, your bathroom, your yes, office, Yes, I have it anything. right here. Yes. I have it right here. It's called Liquid Sunshine, and <gasps> it's a diffuser. Do you? Same. It's the best um it's for a diffuser and um you just put 10 drops in and it it just makes you f- it it lives up to the term it's by sage s-a-j-e i think sage, that's how you yeah. pronounce it um but yeah i have never been like a diffuser person but it was gifted to me and i probably put it around my office like at least three times a week it's well amazing. you're talking to two people that literally have oils for everything no matter what <laughs> you know it's like we have the oil for when we're making our bag when we're journaling yeah. when we're oh my god I mean, 
I'm gonna need that's, that rundown. Oh yeah, that's so in line with all of us. Oh. Um. Okay. Wait. So we just need you to give us because uh, guys, everything is gonna be down below. The link to pre-order the book, the link for your podcast, Yay. your social, all of it's gonna be there. But real quick, for those that are like driving and can't look and can't click, can you say what is your Instagram handle, um, the name of the book, where it's gonna be available? the podcast, yeah. all of those things. Sure. So it's Rye Brockington, which I know is weird, but it's R-Y. And then just like it sounds, Brockington. Um, and yeah, Daddy and Data is our book. You can buy it. You can pre-order it on Amazon. It will be at Amazon. Walmart has picked it up. Target has picked it up. Um, like yeah. it, it's, a, it's global too. So it'll be in 14 different languages, I think, yeah. which is kind of insane. Um, kind and, of amazing. Yeah. And our podcast is called BFFU, Best Friends Forever University. Um, it's myself and my best friend for over 25 years, Brad Pritchett. And we talk about um, ways of coming out, standing out, or speaking out um, to better the lives of LGBTQ people and youth. So, yeah. yeah. Ryan, thank you so thank you fucking for having much me. for doing this today. This was so everything. This was I... such a gift. Just yeah. learning about you, learning about your children, Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You are so inspiring, and I'm just so grateful that you chose Momhood to share more about you. Well, you guys will have to come up on our podcast soon. Yeah. Yeah. We would love that. Let's do we'll it. Do a little thing. Let's All do right. it. Love you All guys. Right, guys. Keep, keep, keep the Momhood alive. <laughs> shut the hood down now. All right. All right, guys. We'll Bye, see you guys. next week.